All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Food Lovers Elective, where we discuss food on and beyond the dinner table. A uh, little bit about us. The Food Lovers Elective is a program of the Center for Regional Agriculture, Food and Transformation, or CRAFT, at Chatham University's Alt School of Sustainability and the Environment. CRAFT's mission is to foster a transformative regional food system that is equitable, sustainable, and inclusive in Western Pennsylvania and beyond. Uh, today, we have Catherine Lee joining us to talk about how museums can facilitate education around food. Uh, Catherine is the curatorial director of the Museum of Food and Drink in New York, as well as an alum of the Chatham Food Studies program's very first cohort. And just overall lovely human being. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk more about the museum and what we do. Yes, absolutely. And I saw recently that MOFAD uh, had a birthday. So yeah, yes. Um, thank you. We opened our uh, inaugural space about seven years ago in Williamsburg. We're not in that space anymore, but it's really exciting to think about all that we've done in the last seven years and before that. Um, yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's just jump right in. Um, could you tell us a little bit about MOFAD for starters and how you ended up there? Sure. Um, the Museum of Food and Drink is a really one of the first of its kind uh, museums dedicated to all things food and drink. Um, we believe that food is culture and we use food and drink as a lens to understand ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Um, we do that primarily through exhibitions, um, but also through public programming for adults and children through school group visits um, and all sorts of things. What else can I tell you about MOFAD? Um, <laughs> it's my, uh, MOFAD, you asked me how I got here. MOFAD uh, was, in the same way that when I found out that there was such a thing as food studies, um, honestly, through an ad in the Pittsburgh City Paper for Chatham's okay. brand new food studies program, um, <laughs> that felt like a light bulb. Like, this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Um, you know, when I first heard about MOFAD, I was living in New York. I was working, you know, multiple jobs and making very little money and um, just felt like right place, right time um, for me anyways. And I started as a volunteer um, and have was hired about a year later and have worn many, many, many hats within the organization, including as interim director in the beginning days of the pandemic. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it's it's my dream job. It's my it's my dream. I think it's a lot of people's dreams. So it is also um, my dream job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think that the working at the museum has really sort of helped me grow and understand food um, and the way that people think about food and interact with food even more and um, allows me the space to sort of also help shape those uh, people's understanding and experiences with food. So that's, you know, the most exciting piece for me. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, how we're interested in sort of how museums can be uh, educational tools or spaces 
Um, and especially with food, not normally, you know, what you'd think of in your average museum exhibit. Um, so how do you think museums provide that unique teaching opportunity for the public? Um, well, I think there are a couple of things, right? You know, for a more traditional art or history museum, let's say, with a collection, um, you know, it's different seeing the David in person uh, at the Uffizi Gallery in Florence than it is in a book or a magazine or online. Like there's something that you can't necessarily capture or, you know, going to the Smithsonian to see like Abraham Lincoln's hat, you know, like those are things that you can experience in other ways, but like being there physically present with that thing, looking at it is really different. Um, so that's, you know, I think a really important piece of it. Um, for us in terms of being a food museum, you know, a lot of the things that we exhibit are, um, sort of mundane everyday materials. So it's it's helping to bring those to life um, through stories, through historical context, through the people that used them. Um, that's, that's important to us. We also find, um, you know, at MOFAD, the one of the most important things that we feel that we do is bring people together around food. So there are always um, is an eating experience, something that um, I like to say, you know, after you have digested, you know, the information, you could literally digest the information through this eating experience. But so in that way, we are, our museum is inherently interactive, um, but we also utilize other forms of interactivity, whether they're smelling machines or virtual reality or our last exhibition African slash American making the nation's table had um, as one of the main artifacts the original ebony test kitchen from the Johnson Publishing Company building that people could walk through um, with a 70s R&B playlist you know to really feel like not only feel like be in that space but um, to help provide that context um, Again, because a lot of what we're exhibiting is not Abraham Lincoln's hat, you know, <laughs> not the David, not whatever, um, you know, providing um, the sort of like pumped up interactive experiences are really Im important to us. And we're always asking ourselves, you know, what, you know, we don't want our exhibition to be something that you could to just easily translate into a book, right? Like something you could read, not that I love reading, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but we want a reason for people to, uh, you know, come experience our exhibitions, experience our programmings, a reason for, for people to be there and to, um, to be able to learn um, on, a, on a deeper sort of um, physical level. That's great. I love the detail about the playlist for the recreation kitchen. Mm -hmm. Such a crucial detail. Um, but yeah, I I love how MoFAD um, does lean into those sensory experiences because, you know, I think they just hit us deeper or, um, you know, allow us to connect what we're seeing with our own personal experience. And, and yeah. let's be honest, like, it's not fun to learn about food and then not enjoy it right Absolutely. like yeah <laughs> I mean it is because we're food nerds but you know like it definitely brings things home on a different level when you get to 
experience them by eating them, drinking them, whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I am fully a food nerd. Every time (laughs) MOFAD announces a new exhibit or event, I like just am floored by how incredibly cool it is. Uh, So what is, what's the process generally for developing a new exhibit? Sure. So, um, you know, we start with basic research right now. We're a tiny museum again, when we're larger, there are other people on my team who help with us. Um, but we start with, you know, general research around whatever topic we are interested. And that helps us to identify key themes, key stories, um, but also, you know, the key people doing the work. Um, you know, even when our team, our curatorial staff is larger, you know, we're all I would say like more general experts in food and drink or history or culture or whatever. And so a big piece for us is identifying those academics, um, chefs, farmers, activists, practitioners um, who can really help guide us in telling a story that maybe hasn't been told before or telling a story that has been told before in a new way. Um, They help us understand any blind spots we might have. Um, You know, we do a lot of uh, work around culture and different cultures in the museum. And I'm, you know, a privileged white lady, I have a lot of blind spots. So, um, you know, there's, that's certainly incredibly important to the work that we do. Um, And those people can help us uh, find collections um, or artifacts, help us think through some of these experiences, the interactive pieces, the uh, the tasting, um, you know, and provide general feedback as the exhibition process goes along, not just from curating, but writing copy, um, flow, all of those sorts of things. Um, that's really, really important to, to the work that, that we do. So general research, you know, creating that exhibition committee of experts, working with them as we continue to research, curate, you know, find objects, write, um, things like that is generally (laughs) the process. Um, You know, it's a little bit different for every exhibition, depending on what we're doing. Um, A big piece of that work that we do together, because, you know, we've been um, a relatively mobile museum. Um, Our spaces, the spaces where our exhibitions have been, have been, you know, about 3,000 to 5,000 square feet is, of course, always narrowing that story down. Or if we're telling a survey story, like a larger historical story, like we did for African slash American, helping us think through, like, the most important themes, the most important stories, ways that we can provide all of that other context visually or in little snippets. Um, all of those things are really important because, you know, you always have to like make your story fit in a space, um, which is a really sort of complicated piece of what we do because, you know, food touches everything (laughs) and there's so many ways a story can go. Um, there's so many, there's so many things to touch on. So really, you know, I, I think a lot about one of our last exhibitions, Chow, making the Chinese American restaurant, which was really, really focused on uh, the food created in Chinese American restaurants um, and, and the how the way that Chinese American restaurants really 
uh, proliferated across the country during the age of exclusion and the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, and, you know, we got feedback from our advisors, like you're not talking about uh, the food that Chinese American people eat at home, or you're not talking about dim sum. And all of these things are certainly important and could be their own exhibitions, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to like keep it very, you know, that's a lot of work to say like, this is our narrow focus. Like this is what we're going to um, think about and, and, and write about and concentrate on and curate around um, and knowing that like we're missing all this other stuff over here. Um, it's a lot easier when you're giving a tour of the exhibition to be like, and here's all the things we didn't talk about that you can think about as well. Um, yeah, so editing yeah. is so hard, especially when you're excited and passionate yeah. about Absolutely. the topic. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I liked how you, I love the, the panels, um, the research panels, especially, you know, museums don't always have the greatest track record, you know, as an institutional, um, you know, providing narratives of the dominant culture. Um, do you see any other ways that craft sort of helps to challenge those narratives um, or those structures? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about, or we think a lot about who we're bringing to the table. Like I just had a conversation with my colleague, Sari, who runs our programming um, about a potential program. And, you know, we're always thinking about, okay, like we don't want this to be all white folks and we don't want this to be all men. And like, how do Always we a bring, good place to start. Yeah, how do we bring, you know, multiple voices and viewpoints to the table? Um, and we really think very, consciously and, and purposefully about that. Um, you know, for me as a historian and as someone who thinks a lot about food, I think a lot about like, in terms of our exhibitions, you know, these are things that yes, happened in the distant past or the recent past or the not so whatever past, but they're also like food is changing all around us every day. Mm -hmm. And like, we are all a part of that. And so everybody is, an expert in their own right. And, and so for us, there's also that piece of it is that like, how are we bringing all of those voices? How are we using, you know, whatever institutional platform or sort of, uh, I don't know what the word is, you know, like whatever has to, <laughs> however small, like we might have to uh, elevate, um, sort of everybody's expertise. And again, right, when we're a small museum, even when we were like had more people on staff, like, you know, we only represent, I mean, at the most what we've had 15, 20 people on staff, we, we only represent a small group of people. And so, you know, who are the folks that can talk about those things and also empowering sort of everybody to say, wait, I am the folks, like I can talk about these things. Um, I'm part of this as well, I think is really, really important to me in, you know, how we think about everything we do at the museum. Oh, how, um, how do you see museums like MOFAD being able to be in conversation with visitors either during their visit or after? Yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? So, um, you know, there are a couple of ways that we do this. Again, thinking back to the Chow exhibition, um, for that we had a chef 
right in the space. We worked with Chinese and Chinese American chefs from around the country who gave us uh, recipes. So our chef in the space was demoing those recipes, talking to the visitors about the techniques they were using and all those sorts of things, but also, you know, how this dish or this person or this, you know, whatever this technique fits into the larger story that we were telling in the exhibition. Um, so there was definitely like literal, <laughs> there were literal conversations happening, which is really important and really key for a lot of museums, right? How do we interact with our visitors? Um, that was also a really sort of great space for us because we had visitors interacting with one another, which is mm -hmm. also very key for museums, right? Like keeping the discussion going, facilitated by a museum staffer or not, right? Like that's really important. Um, so there's that piece of it in the in the physical space. Um, but then there's also um, the piece of it, you know, what do you do if you can't visit the space um, or you did visit the space and you wanna continue interacting and learning? Um, we have tried to, uh, with, you know, our past several exhibitions, um, have these interactive components that you could do in the space or at home, right? Whether they're sort of silly. So like for Chow, we had a, a fortune cookie machine that was making fortune cookies and we had Project Fortune and you could submit a fortune. And as long as it was, you know, appropriate for a five-year-old and a 95-year-old, it got past the MOFAD sensors and um, uh, got printed and put into a fortune cookie, right? And so we had people submitting via social media and you could add your handle so people could tag each other. Um, so like a little more sort of fun um, to a, a bit more serious with African slash American, we had this beautiful legacy quilt made for the exhibition. It had 406 blocks. Each block represented uh, an African-American contribution to American cuisine. But we also had the online version with both those MOFAD curated blocks, but also as a story gathering project where people could tell the stories of their own African-American culinary heroes, whether that is somebody in their community or somebody who, you know, we might not know about, like there's just research being done about that person now. Um, so again, those are ways for people to uh, sort of be involved um, and tell their own stories or tell stories of people in their lives um, and really bring bring that home. I think that's like a really key piece of the interactivity that that we do as well. And then for programming, I mean, we went completely virtual, uh, like a lot of places did uh, during the early days of the pandemic when we were, you know, all home alone all the time. And all of those are now available on YouTube. Like, you know, we have like a great, and we will call back to them on social media um, because we want people to, you know, continue to uh, interact with those discussions as, as well. Um, you know, programs are a little bit harder, you know, you have one and then it's done. So it's great to have this archive where people can, again, go back, learn, meet some of these experts, learn about what they're doing and, you know, engage that way as well. And that's so important too, for just general accessibility, being able to, you know, if you can't make the trip to New York, being able to still engage online. Um, so you've, you know, it's been alluded to a little bit that MOFAD's had a few different forms. Um, can you talk a little bit about how um, that flexibility through the pandemic has sort of the timeline of that and how it's changed what MOFAD does? Sure. Um, 
you know, our goal has always been and continues to be like a, a, a real <laughs> museum space. I, I, our, is the, will the filmed portion? I did rabbit ears when I said <laughs> real quotation marks um, with my fingers. <laughs> um, you know, to have a space, to have a large space with multiple galleries and multiple exhibitions and tastings and demo kitchens and, and all of that. And that's still, you know, our dream. Um, the pandemic certainly, you know, uh, <laughs> pushed that further, even further afield, which is, you know, on the one hand, a little bit disappointing, but on the other hand, I think because we are small, um, because we are nimble, because we are already sort of, um, I don't know what the right word would be, mavericky, <laughs> renegades, uh, you know, because we're often listening, thinking, reacting, interacting in the food space, right? I feel like our exhibitions and our programming are often like very um, sort of needed and necessary in the moment, right? Um, which is exciting. Um, the point of that was it allowed us, right? We're already sort of mavericky. That's what I was saying. Um, it sort of allowed us to, everybody's favorite word, uh, pivot quickly uh, when the pandemic happened. I mean, we knew that African slash American was going to open not in our former Williamsburg space because we wanted it um, hosted um, in a historically black neighborhood. Um, we worked with the Africa Center, um, which was at the north is at the northeast corner of Central Park. Um, you know, the exhibition was already slated to be there when it was supposed to open in April of 2020. You know, we we had planned to be leaving our Williamsburg space for that. Um, and then obviously like the world shut down in March um, and everything changed for us. But that same sort of spirit of like, okay, what do we do now um, really sort of enabled us, rooted us as we tried to figure out, you know, how do we react and respond in this moment? How do we continue to be a museum? And I think in, some ways we became more uh, overtly activists, little a activists. Like I've always seen our work as being like lowercase a activism in terms of like food literacy, right? We can't debate and dismantle the injustices inherent in the food system if we don't understand the context. There's a lot of context <laughs> that needs to be understood, you know? Um, but I think we became a bit more overt, right? Um, in the early days of the pandemic as restaurants were shutting down and like this industry that we feel very much a part of and very rooted in um, was really on the brink. Um, and, and the food system in general, food workers across the food system, you know, how can we, you know, again, give a platform, provide voice to these people whose lives are being turned upside down even more, you know, than ours are. Um, uh, with um, sort of the early days of COVID and the effects on um, Asian American communities and Chinatowns, like we, we talked about that a lot. You know, we had a program series about that. Um, even with, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and people in the street, you know, 
marching for their lives, you know, as we have this exhibition on African-American contributions to American cuisine sitting shuttered, um, you know, how do we interact and engage with that? You know, how does food interact and engage with that? And I think we were, again, because, you know, we are interactive and, and reactive in this space, we're all people who uh, love food and are <laughs> food academics to different extents, you know, we, I, I feel gross saying this, but I'm going to say it, we like used that to our advantage. I mean, I think in the moment we were like, this is all we can do. This is how we can help, you know, this, we all believe that the work that we do uh, is really, really important. Um, and, and this is how we can be a part, right? How we can engage. And I, I think that it, you know, it, it, I don't, we had no idea that that would work for us. And it, it did. I mean, we expanded our, our reach people, like you said, you know, who can't get to New York can meet MoFAD and be a part of MoFAD. And, um, we had, uh, people tuning into those zoom programs, you know, from around the country and around the world, which was something like, I don't, think we really expected um in a way in a very strange way um the pandemic was sort of in some ways like very good for us um certainly now as we're re-emerging without a space um with a very small crew trying to think about what to do next like it's really it's really difficult I'm not gonna lie it's hard to be a a small nonprofit and a small museum. Um, but I think we feel really galvanized by all of the strides that we've we've made, all of the things that uh, as an organization we've overcome as a group of colleagues and, and friends, you know, there were three of us for the most part um, during those those worst days. Um, it's yeah. It's it's kind of it's it's overwhelming to me a little bit to think about to think about all of that. But yeah. Yeah. It sounds like though it was an unexpected but also kind of natural evolution into Absolutely. the values behind MoFan. Um so it's you know, as you've mentioned, your seems like the museum partnerships are really crucial. Um how do you generally network within your professional community? Hmm. That is very true. Um, I mean, a lot of different ways. I, um, you know, we try to be, or at least I try to be um, embedded within sort of the academic food, academic community um, in terms of exhibitions. Um, uh, that is really important for me. And I do that, you know, through, excuse me, academic groups and associations like the Association for Food and Society. Um, uh, you know, my colleague, Sari, who, who, like I said, does our public programming. Um, she, uh, you know, is really good about being like very embedded in the world of like food media um, and the restaurant world. Um, Casey, who runs our social media, who is amazing. Um, you know, also was like embedded in both of those worlds. So we really sort of, um, you know, 
try to like I'm not afraid that is the thing that Mofat has taught me I am not afraid of cold calling a person or cold emailing a person um and being polite and professional of course and you know saying like we're doing this thing I'd like to talk to you will you um will you talk to me are you willing to you know do this work with us um you know I think that's that's really important um yeah that's a great step to have yeah yeah and don't be afraid that's that's what I say don't be afraid to just reach out to somebody it's fine yeah worst they say is no um and you know there's definitely been a trend in recent years of sort of insta worthy instagrammable museum exhibits or having more photo opportunities um how important do you at both ad um place that and how does that factor into your design it's mm, a great question um you know, the reality is that like the Instagram museum is like, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. And I think that we can think of it in a couple of ways. And on the one hand, I think it can push potentially more traditional museums to think outside the box. Um, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, is it sometimes frustrating to me to be like, okay, now what's our Instagrammable moment? You know, yes, I'm not going to lie. Uh, not always where I, how I want to be spending my brain space, but, um, I do think it's not necessarily like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but that being said, you know, for the museum of food and drink, it's in really it's really important for us um, to uh, go deeper than than that, right? Um, we want to be a space for people who are like deep food nerds, but also people who are just like, I like food, I, or like, I'm interested in this topic, I will come see it. Um, but always what we wanna do with our exhibitions um, is provide, like I said, provide that context, um, help people like make those connections and think about the things that they eat differently, um, or perhaps differently, um, maybe on a, on a different level in a different way than they did before. And, and so, you know, <laughs> The Museum of Ice Cream, like, can be very, not to call them out, but, like, that's where we're going, right? Like, it's that can be very frustrating for us, right? They're not a nonprofit. They're run by a marketing firm. People shell out lots of money to go dip their feet in the sprinkle pool. Um, and we're trying to do something different. And, <laughs> like, to watch that happen and, like, have a trickle of people at our own museum is, is frustrating. But also, like, we're here to do something different. Um, and, and I, like I said, I do think there are things that can be learned from those sorts of places. Um, okay. And so like, how do you have, how do you talk about ice cream or whatever pizza? I don't know what else. Um, and, and also provide, provide that fun, provide that Instagram moment, but also provide the deeper context. Um, again, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing to try to like, think about how to use some of those techniques, but also keeping in mind, like for us, who we are, what's important to us, what we're trying to do, what our mission is. 
Awesome. Um, well, we have our producer, Haley, here. Uh, Hi, Haley. Haley, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask? No? Just um, any, any, any questions? Yes. Um, so is there anything you want to plug before we sign off? Um, I mean, I always want to plug MOFAD. <laughs> you can go to our website, mofad.org, learn more about who we are, what we do. You can sign up for our newsletter so you can hear about all of the cool stuff we have going on. Um, you could donate. Donations are always great. Um, you can always email us. You know, we have a contact form if you want to say like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Or, hey, I want to help, whatever. Um, mofad.org is the place to do all of those things. Um, hopefully we'll have some exciting news for everybody in the new year, which I will not talk about further, but again, sign up for our newsletter. So you're the first to know about all of those things. Um, we have some great virtual programs coming up um, and in-person programs, um, but virtual, the, we have a virtual series on um, uh, mushrooms and decolonizing fungi, which will be very cool. Um, so if you are not in New York, like that's a series to sign up for. Definitely the series is called Fruiting Bodies. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been great talking with you. Thanks. You too. Thanks for thinking of me. Hello, my name is Haley, and I've helped produce this podcast alongside Taylor. As food study scholars in the making, you know, we're continuously renewing our understanding of the food system with each new article or book that comes our way. And I do think that it just truly, you know, helps to take a moment and have a conversation that's outside of our studies with someone like Catherine, you know, who's not only an alum of our program, but she's an integral part of creating positive changes in the food system. And for museum studies specifically, like she said, the folks in charge do hold a unique institutional power and a responsibility to inform the public, but it's not always so clear in the best ways to do that. So I think it was fruitful to learn more about how, you know, online programming through MOFAD and alternative routes of education can be important parts of engaging the public through food. And museums do have the ability to, you know, pick and choose what they display and how they create and write the narratives that surround those items in archives. Uh, you know, for example, I think uplifting marginalized narratives by displaying artifacts with an accompanying story really can help museum goers understand stories that were previously untold or even silenced. And by providing a space of unjudged learning and curiosity, places like MOFAD can help us see and hear other stories. And that there, you know, I think holds the power to connect us through shared experiences and really through empathy building. And as Catherine said, food touches everything. And I think for, you know, food current 
or current food studies students like myself and Taylor, it is really beneficial to have the opportunity to have these types of conversations because it opens pathways of learning about potential career choices. And as we move our way through the program, we're sometimes or really always thinking about future job opportunities. And for those who are interested in storytelling or creating exhibits or who just have an interest in museum studies like Catherine, knowing that this job exists can be helpful in framing what is available to students after they graduate. And so we are really grateful to have had the opportunity to have this conversation and hope you will join us again soon here at the Food Lovers Elective. Have a great day.